Let's bow again. Father, we thank you so much for this morning again. We thank you for the reason why we're here. We're here to worship you, and we know that you seek worshipers in spirit and in truth. And by your grace through your Son, Jesus, uh, we have been placed into the body of your Son, and we have your spirit, and we are able to worship in truth. We have your truth revealed concerning who you are and what you've done for us. And we thank you, and we praise you. And Father, we thank you for a privileged time to also get into your word. And I pray you would use this time greatly to grow us in respect to our uh, in the grace and knowledge of your son Jesus, I pray, so that you'd be, again, greatly glorified. Praise in his precious name. Amen. Now, we're all pretty aware that uh, the Christian life at times is no cakewalk, um, that there are trials and snares and thorns, there's difficulty. Now, certainly the world has all that because the world is always living in the context of a sinful world and the consequences of their sin. So there's trials with that. But for believers, we desire to do the right thing. We desire to follow the Lord. And at times, difficult things come our way. Uh, there are temptations. Uh, we have our flesh. We have Satan tempting us. Uh, with the world, obviously, with its temptations, going the opposite direction of our desires and wanting to follow the Lord. And, and in this testing, we realize sometimes that uh, this testing can be uh, pretty weighty, pretty heavy. Um, but one thing I think we're going to see is that the Lord God tests us not to tear us down, not to destroy us, but to actually prove our faith so that he would be glorified. And that the testing of our faith is actually a very good thing. And it is designed and ultimately brought forth and it will bless those uh, who are truly in the faith. Uh, there's uh, passages that are really clear in scripture that we're going to be tested. We're going to have fiery ordeals come upon us. Uh, Peter shares to those in Asia Minor in 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, uh, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes among you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Uh, James writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result. But yet we don't like that testing at times. It's understandable. We don't like difficulty. We don't like things that are that seem to be difficult or hard. Uh, there are many different tests. They come in many different forms, whether it's a physical trial, uh, whether it's a relational trial, work situation, something at church, whatever it might be. So how are we to respond when this testing inevitably comes? How are we to respond? Well, we're going to see from Scripture through the testing of Abraham, the paradigm of faith, how we are to respond. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 24. Now, um, the context, we went through Genesis a couple years ago. You might remember that. And you might remember that uh, this is written by Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is initially for the Israelites who are ready to enter the land. Um, and within that, it's certainly profitable for every true believer, right? All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable, as are the rest of the scriptures, now, after giving us a history of mankind from the perspective of God's perfect creation and then man's fall into sin, we come to see 
God's redemptive plan brought forth and take shape as the Lord would bring true salvation through the seed of Abraham, ultimately Jesus Christ. And indeed, in chapters 12 through 21, we have the life of Abraham, a man who responded to the Lord's call, who believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And we see his walk of faith, although not perfect, yet growing. And in these portions, they are extremely important because the scripture reveals that Abraham is a paradigm of faith. He is what a true believer who trusts in Jesus looks like. He's the paradigm of faith. He is the prime example for us. And today we come to a portion, as we take a little short break from our uh, Colossian study, we come to a, a portion in which we come to the pinnacle of the life of Abraham as we see God's testing of him uh, when he is called upon to offer his only son. Now, as we look at this, we're going to see through this true story uh, how we should respond to testing, but also we're going to see that this testing also foreshadows what Christ would do for us. So then how should we respond when those difficulties come, when those testings come? Let's take a look. Genesis 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said to him, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took his hand, in his hand the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to a place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him, for now I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called upon Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will bless you, greatly bless you, 
and I will greatly multiply uh, your seed as the stars of the heaven and the sand as the sand of the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. Now it came about after these things that Abraham was it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother, Uz and Buzz, by the way, if you're looking for names, um, for if you're giving a child, Uz and Buzz, his brother, and Kimiel, the father of Aram, and Chesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jephloth, and Bethuel, and Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Melchor bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and his concubine, whose name was Reumah, who also bore Teba, Gaham, and Tahash, and Ma'akah. Well, if it hasn't become evident already, this is an incredibly important passage of Scripture. And um, I just pray that the Lord will allow me to share it exactly as he desires uh, this wonderful truth to be made brought forth. So how should we respond when tested? First of all, we need to realize that God will test our faith. He's going to test our faith and he's going to prove it genuine and bless us if you're a true believer. He's going to prove and demonstrate it genuine. Look at our passage here. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham, verse 1, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So our passage begins with that phrase. Now it came about after these things. Well, what things is he talking about? Well, obviously he's referring to what he spoke about in chapter 21. And if you were with us in Genesis, you might remember that the Lord God was faithful to Abraham. Indeed, Abraham was walking with the Lord, and he experienced the Lord's faithful protection in regards to the Philistines and a provision of a well, chapter 21, in spite of Abraham's past failures. Isn't that great? The Lord, in spite of our failures, he still is faithful to us. He is faithful to Abraham. And the Lord even used a pagan Philistine king, Abimelech, who saw that God was with Abraham and all that he did. He saw that. And we know that God had promised uh, Abraham the land. He was looking for a better heavenly country, and he was sojourning, just like you and I. So after this interaction with Abimelech, we come to our passage. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And what was the test? He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Well, we think our trials are difficult. Um, it's hard to imagine the depth of this trial for Abraham. Uh, but we're going to see it as the Lord reveals it in his word. So the scripture clearly says God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. And what was that test? test was to take his son, his only son, which he loved, and go to the land of Rire, offer as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which he would tell him. Take your son, your only son. 
whom you love, Isaac. Now, wait a second. Didn't uh, Abraham have another son? He did, through Hagar, right? Ishmael, right? But here, in the uh, Old Testament, even Greek translation, it's, it's translated monogenes, your unique son. Your unique son, your only son. You see, yes, Abraham had a son through Hagar, but through Sarah was the child of promise, uh, Isaac, and uh, brought forth miraculously. Indeed, back in chapter 12, more than 25 years earlier, the Lord had promised Abram that he would make him a great nation, and that in him, his, in his seed, all the nations, all the families of earth shall be blessed. And Galatians chapter 3 reveals he was referring to Christ, the seed of Abraham, who would take on human flesh and die for our sins. That in chapter 15, the Lord made it clear that the heir would not be his servant, Eliezer, Eliezer, but one would come from his own flesh, and his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. Uh, uh, and uh, then the Lord affirmed in chapter 17 that he would be a father of a multitude of nations after making an, a, coven, a covenant with Abraham. And then he made it clear also in chapter 17 that he would have a son by Sarah, and his heir would not be Ishmael, but a son by Sarah. And then we know this, in chapter 18, the Lord made it clear to Abraham and Sarah, who was listening, remember? She was listening, the Lord, the appointed time in which he would bring forth a child through Sarah. And the Lord did so as promised. Genesis 21. So then we have this child of promise. We have the heir according to the promise. And now we have an incredible test. Abraham is to... Um, uh, take his son, whom he loves, his only son, the son in whom the promise would come, in which all the nations would be blessed. Take your son, whom you love, Isaac, go to Moriah, sacrifice him as a burnt offering, where I tell you. Now turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 for a second. Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll kind of keep our finger in there in our passage in Genesis also. Hebrews 11:17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he received he and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. There we go, Monogenes. And actually, that's where we have that Monogenes, his unique son. You see, we see in the next verse it was to him it was said in Isaac. Your descendants shall be called. God is saying that Abraham has only one son concerning the promise, Isaac, the son Isaac. And so he is to take up his only son, his only begotten son, and take the son whom he loves. Abraham loved Isaac. So can you imagine this? Abraham waits 25 years you know, we think it's a long time at, at McDonald's line or whatever it might be. Abraham waits 25 years for Isaac to be born, a miraculous birth, and he loves him dearly. And this is a son in whom all the promises would come, and now God is asking him to sacrifice. We think our, our trials are bad. We think our trials are difficult. Now, apart from the scripture here, we might... Uh, not understand the magnitude of this trial. 
apart from understanding the reality that the seed uh, Isaac was through whom the promises would come and that Abraham loved him. Abraham loved him. Now it's interesting, just on a side note, this word test in verse 1 and this word love uh, in verse 2 are the first time they're used in Genesis in the whole Bible in this verses. Very first time. So here we have a test of Abraham and he loves his son Isaac. He loves his son Isaac. You know, it's a difficult test. Remember the Lord said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Uh, here we have uh, the question, will Abraham obey by faith? Will he obey by loving the Lord more than he loves his son? He has to believe what the Lord has said. He has to totally believe. Matthew chapter 10, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus says. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. It's not saying you hate your, your, your children. You love your children. Abraham loved his child. But we need to love the Lord more. Some people love their families more than they love the Lord. Well, we're going to see who Abraham loved here. He certainly loved his son. We're going to also see he loved the Lord. Now, at this point, some would say there's a theological difficulty here in this passage. What do I mean? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, the word translated test, not the word in, in, in Genesis, but in chapter 11, it's the same word uh, translated in the Greek translation of Genesis, but it's also in James chapter 1. It's translated tempted. And you say, wait a second. I thought God does not tempt anyone, and yet we see God is testing. Same word. Does God tempt us? Well, the reality is uh, we see this word in Hebrews 11 and the Greek translation of Genesis 22 is pyrazo. It means to try, examine, test, prove. can be used in a good sense or a bad sense. In a good sense, God's actions towards his people to prove, try, or test in a sense. In a bad sense, man's testing of God in an evil way. And in a bad sense, tempting like Satan tempts. Uh, we have Satan. He's the tempter. He is the ha-pirazon. He is the tempter. So with that in mind, uh, how, do, how do we resolve this? Well, James chapter 113 resolves it completely. James 113, I'll read this to you. Let no one say he is tempted. I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God was not tempting Abraham to sin. He was testing him to prove his genuine faith and to bless him. God does not come along when you think you're feeling tempted to sin because of some difficulty. That is not God doing that part. God wants to prove your faith through those circumstances so that you will be blessed, as we're going to see. Because blessed is the one who perseveres through a trial, right? We see that. So don't think when you feel the temptation in the trial uh, to sin, that is from God at all. Not one bit of that is from God at all. God only tests, and he tests for good. And we've got to get this in our heads. His testing is always for good. It is always. When God tests, it is for good. It is always for good. We've got to remember that because we see the, the, the circumstances as bad, so we think the whole thing is bad. But rather, God is going to take evil and turn it 
to good. It's always good. And I mentioned some of these passages earlier, but let me share a couple. James 1, 2, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. The, the language here is like a ship cruising along and all of a sudden hitting, hitting a reef. You All of a sudden you hit these trials. He says here, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. If you're a genuine believer and you encounter trials, your faith is going to be tested or proven to be true. And it's going to bring, actually, as he says here, endurance. Because you see you are achievable. You see that God is working through you. He is working through these things. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And I mentioned this earlier, James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, or literally approved by testing, once that's happened, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I mentioned this earlier, 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing is happening to you. But he says here, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. And he says here, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled from the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. And then this is what I read earlier in our, in our offertory time. First Peter 1, 6, in this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, I like that part, if necessary. It's not always, just if necessary. Uh, you have been distressed by various trials that the proof of your faith, the demonstrated proof in trials, the fire up being more precious than gold or silver, which is perishable, even though tested by a fire, may be found to result in praise glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, when you make it through the test because you're a true believer, you're trusting Christ, God's going to be glorified. It's going to bring praise and glory to him. So then the proving of our faith brings great joy, maturity, and blessing to us and glory to God. Glory to God. Praise and honor and glory. So then, if we knew something was coming our way, it would be wise for us to prepare, right? If we know we're going to be tested... We need to think and think biblically that God, when he allows testing, now I'm not talking about discipline. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about, or 12 talks about that. We're all partake of that. We all partake of discipline if we are saved because we do mess up and God's going to spank us and that we would share in his holiness. He's a good father. But when we are tested, Abraham was not being spanked here. He was being tested by God. God clearly says that. When that testing comes, we need to have in advance a a prepared mind that knows God's going to do good with this, that knows it's good, the outcome will be good, that his desire is to bless in the context of this testing. We've got to know it in advance, prepare in advance. And so then we have here back in our passage, so then the Lord is testing Abraham. You could say it literally, the Lord is proving Abraham. He's proving him. That's what he's doing. He's testing to prove you don't test things that, you know, when you're testing some type of metals for some type of project, you don't test it to, 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 to fail it. You test it that it would be proved because you want to use it. You're testing to prove that it is what it is. So then he says, now, back in our passage, it came about after these things that it, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. 
So then Abraham has been sojourning in Beersheba, that's the southern portion of the land of Canaan, and the Lord tells him to go to the land of Moriah. Okay? And what's that? Well, Second Chronicles 3.1, I can share this here. Uh, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place where he had prepared the threshing floor of Omen the Jebusite. If you know the topography of the land in that area in Jerusalem, there's a ridge which comes from the temple, proceeds, and it is connected to the same hill which is called Golgotha, the place of the skull, in which we get our lattery, our lattery, our Latin translation, Calvary. So then God is telling Abraham to take his only son whom he loves from Beersheba to the land of Moriah to offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Okay? Now, what's a burnt offering? Now, uh, we, were, we see in Scripture that true believers back in the time of Adam and Eve offered up offerings. We see righteous Abel in Genesis 4 offering by faith, uh, Hebrews 11. In chapter 8 of Genesis, verses 20 to 22, we see that Noah offered every clean animal and bird as burnt offerings on an altar, right? Noah had a basic understanding uh, that something spotless would need to die, and I believe he understood the truth in seed form concerning Eve's seed who would come, who would crush Satan, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And indeed, in chapter 12, we see Abraham did the same thing. He built an altar when he came to Canaan, when the Lord appeared to him. And then, east of Bethel, he built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord, and he worshipped there. And in some way, shape, or fashion, the Lord had revealed to Abraham this physical picture of true spiritual worship in seed form, as we're going to see, all based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to come. So what's a burnt offering? Well, in our passage, we're going to have a detailed picture of it, where Abraham is ready to sacrifice his son, uh, but God would bring a ram instead. We see in Exodus chapter 10, Moses uh, told Pharaoh that they needed to take the cattle also out in the wilderness for burnt offerings. Chapter 18 of Exodus, Jethro and Moses' father-in-law offered burnt offerings to God. Israelites did so when they received the law at Mount Sinai, Exodus 20 and 24. And we know from Scripture, from what Moses would write, inspired by the Spirit later on, that burnt offerings were sacrifices of clean animals in which the whole animal would be slain and consumed by fire. That's a burnt offering. And within Leviticus, we see it was for personal atonement for sin. But that sacrifice would be completely consumed. Completely consumed. Folks, and this offering was a picture of what Christ would do for us. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God being offered up, consumed as an acceptable sacrifice for sin. Sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And so here, back in Genesis, we've already seen the picture with Noah, offering, recognizing his sinfulness, offering spot, uh, clean animals, not to bring forgiveness, but in faith as foreshadowing the forgiveness that would come through the seed of Eve, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have the Lord commanding Abraham to offer his only son whom he loves as a burnt offering. I can't imagine anything more difficult than that. If you have children, you love them, and the Lord is saying, offer him up that he be totally consumed. 
God was testing Abraham, asking him to give up his greatest treasure, his son whom he loved, his only son, the son in whom the promises would be fulfilled. So if we're going falling along the surface here, we have a dilemma, don't we? We have a dilemma. First, Abraham, is if he offers up his son Isaac, how's the promise going to be fulfilled? Dead men don't uh, pass on seed. promise is clear. Hebrews 11.18 is to whom in Isaac your descendants shall be called. Also, we have a dilemma here, at least on the surface. Why would God ask such a thing? It seems totally out of his character, to ask, or loving God to ask Abraham to do such a thing. Certainly, God was against human sacrifice. Well, also at this time, uh, uh, it could appear that the promises of God contradicted the command. God had promised it would be through a seed, but go ahead and have him offer it up as a burnt offering. And this is the place where many of us get stuck in the midst of trials, where we try to resolve things rather than believing what God has said in his word, which resolves it ultimately. You see, what we're going to see is that God would use this circumstance and he would provide a substitute. And he would use it to foreshadow the one time there would be a human sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ dying for our sins. So we're going to see. So we need to learn from Abraham's obedient response of faith. He believed what God said. And we need to stand on his word, believe what he said, and act upon it in obedience. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place in which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid on his son Isaac. He took the, in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire for the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there. He arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. You see here, Abraham's faith was manifest in obeying, by the way. Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, verse 17, when Abraham was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he whom he received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was to him it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. So we have the details here. Abraham's offering up Isaac. We have the details. He rose early in the morning, quick obedience, took two of his young men. He split the wood. He arose and went to the place which God had told him. And you notice, boom, 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 the quickness of his obedience. Right away, no questions, no grumbling, no figuring out. He simply obeyed the command of God. And that's where we get stuck. We just need to obey God. Obey the Lord. This is genuine biblical faith. 
And we see he is obeying the Lord. His faith was manifest in obeying, just as we saw. And so then, notice this testing wasn't over in a couple minutes. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. It's been about a three-day journey from Beersheba to Moriah. And here it's where we begin to see the parallelism or topography, not topography, typology, between what happened here in this event and what Christ would do for us. You see, for Abraham, Isaac was initially as good as dead for three years. Three, three years, three days. Good as dead for three days. And you might remember that Christ was in the tomb for three days before he rose. And send the notice this, verse 5, And Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder. And notice what he says, And we will worship and return to you. This is a statement of faith. Abraham sees what God has called him to do is worship. He sees the burnt offering of worship. He sees what he's asking him to do is worship. We will worship and return to you. This is so important because we see in obedience we're worshiping God when we do what he says. He's obeying him. We're going to worship. We're going to, he's going to offer that burnt sacrifice. He's going to worship the Lord. And this puts a monkey wrench into a lot of churches' modern view of worship. Worship is not merely music. Worship is not uh, 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 just excitement about God. Worship is ascribing to the living God the worth due his name in the context of faith and obedience. And certainly we see that here in Abraham. You see, we should be worshiping throughout the week, offering ourselves as living sacrifices, acceptable, Romans chapter 12, which is our spiritual service of worship. So then, Abraham's obedience and worship was based on a confidence in God's word. Verse 5, And Abraham said to young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder. We will worship, and we will return to you. We know that Abraham, uh, he had not heard of any resurrections by this time. I don't, I don't know any resurrections that I know of in Scripture up to this point. And yet Abraham believed what God said, and he thus deduced that God would have to raise him from the dead. He says here, he considered, verse 19 of chapter, 7, chapter 11 of Hebrews, he considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead, from which he received him back. As a type. We'll worship and we'll return to you. He believed. He believed. One pastor shares. He says, here's the point our writer is making. When your faith is tested, uh, it will be found to be the anchor of your soul through believing in God's word. Abraham could endure no greater trial in his life because he knew the word of God and was sure that what God had said he would do no matter what. He knew that. So what situations are you being tested in? What does God say about it in his word? Having problems at work? Submit to your boss, 1 Peter 2. Do you work hardly unto the Lord, Colossians chapter 3. Having marital problems? Husbands, love your wives. Do not be embittered. Wives, submit and love your husbands. Love your children. Having problems with your children, teach them the word of God, fear and admonition of the Lord. Discipline them righteously, Proverbs. 
Need wisdom? Ask in faith without doubting. James 1. Struggling with anxiety? Uh, humbly pray, request, and focus on Christ. Philippians 4. Struggling with physical provision? Seek first his kingdom. Matthew. Obey God's word. Obey God's word. Wherever God is testing you, what does God say about it in his word? Obey him. Obey him. So then, and notice back in Hebrews 11, verse 19, it says that he was, he reckoned that God could raise him from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. And that term type is the same word for, as for parable there. And so what's happening here is God is saying in Hebrews 11 that this was a picture of the fact that Jesus Christ would rise from the dead. It was that he would receive back. It was a picture of that. The perfect sacrifice points to the one who would rise from the dead, Jesus Christ. So back to our passage. Look at verse 6. Notice what happens. And Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked together. Again, we have more foreshadowing. As Christ would carry his cross and his son Isaac would carry the wood here, we see. Um, and scripture says, so the two of them walked together. Again, foreshadowing the harmony of the father and the son in terms of the sacrifice of the son on the father's behalf for us. He sent him to die for our sins. And then notice Isaac begins to wonder something. There are seven. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father here, he said, Here I am. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's a good question. Now, he might ask, how old is Isaac at this point? Um, some would say, because of chapter uh, 23, that he's in his 30s, because of the age given for Sarah. But I actually don't agree. Uh, our passage says he was a lad. That speaks of a young man, a boy or a youth. Um, and we see that uh, Abraham lived in Beersheba, actually, verse 19 of chapter 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 21 implies some time passing, um, actually 23. And then in chapter 21, the boy is weaned, we see back before this, and Abraham lived in the Philistine, Philistine area many days. So all that said, it's my thought he's probably a teenager or a young adult. And you kind of see that with his responses. He says, my father, the way he says it, the way he responds to him. So then, as we look at Isaac's very logical question, this gives us insight also into how Abraham trained his son in the way of the Lord. He's asking, hey, all the pieces aren't here for the burnt offering, Dad. Where's the, where's the lamb? And you might remember back in Genesis 18 what the Lord said to Abraham. Genesis 18, verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great nation? And didn't say it, but saying about him. And in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Evidently, Abraham was doing that. He was doing that. Isaac saying, hey, what about, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And notice Abraham's answer of faith when uh, Isaac says, Behold the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the offering? Verse 8, and Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And I think, as I read this, how often we don't believe what God says. So often we, in our emotions, we, we just don't believe what he says. 
we need to know the word of God. We need to have it in our hearts, and we need to believe what he said. And when those situations come that seem impossible, we go, God has said this. He's going to do this. God will provide here, the lamb, my son. Now, Abraham knew this. He knew the burnt offering was an act of worship, and he knew God would provide. What an incredible faith here. Now, this word provide here, ra'ah, speaks of to see. It speaks of seeing with an eye towards providing. God is looking. He's going to provide. Now, notice the end of verse 8. So the two of them walked on together, and we have this phrase repeated emphasizing the unity of the Father and Son. And again, I believe, foreshadowing the unity of the Father and Son when Christ went to the cross. So then, verse 9, Then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood. And again, can you imagine this test? And notice, Isaac certainly is aware of what's going on at this point. Uh, He arranged the wood. Then they came to the place which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there, arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Obviously, this implies the willing involvement of Isaac. Abraham's uh, over 100 years old. Isaac could have said, no way, pops. I'm not not jumping on there. Uh, Obviously, Isaac... Obeyed, he submitted. We don't usually see this testing in this portion concerning Isaac, but he tested Abraham, and Isaac, uh, he allows himself to be bound and put on the altar. He recognizes, obviously from his question earlier, that he is the lamb, that he's the sacrifice. Remember he asked that question? Now this foreshadows also that I believe our Savior willingly offered himself no one took Jesus' life. He laid it down, John 10. So Abraham, verse 10, back in our passage, stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. He's obeying the Lord all the way through. In his mind, Isaac is going to die, but he has deep trust in the Lord that he could raise him. He believes. So think of what Job said. Though he slay me, I yet I will trust him. I will trust him. That's how faith responds and we don't understand. So then... We see him obeying, but what happens here? Abraham believed, he's following through. Verse 11, uh, but the angel of the Lord called from heaven. This is after he stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him for now. I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You know, it's interesting, God did not allow Abraham to slay his own son, but in picture, he would, he would slay his own son, Jesus Christ, for us. You see, this picture points to Jesus. You know that, and we'll see that. So right at the nick of time, the angel of the Lord, that's termed literally in Hebrew, the messenger of the Lord. It's not speaking of an angel. In the Old Testament, if you saw an angel of the Lord, that would be an angelic being. And when you have the angel, it's the messenger, the one who represents the Lord and is here, the Lord we see here. It is the Lord. Look in verse 12. For now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That's that's the Lord. Um, and in verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, Be, by myself, I have sworn, what? Declares the Lord. This is the Lord. Not in the Lord, the great I am, who has stopped Abraham. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him, for now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son. 
Now, didn't God know that Abraham feared him already? He knows everything. Of course he did. What he's saying here is now, by practical experience, your deeds, you you have demonstrated you fear me. It has been made known. It's been made known. Here we see that Abraham truly had a relationship with the living God. He feared him. He reverenced him. And he ultimately did so above all things, even his own son. Brothers and sisters, if you're a true believer, the Lord is going to test or prove your faith, your fear of him. Indeed, it's going to be be tested. And I can't think of a greater uh, test of Abraham's faith because all the promises hinged on Isaac. And he loved him. And Abraham, notice the Lord said, did not withhold. He did not withhold. And folks, this foreshadows the tremendous yielding of the father giving his son for us he would not withhold his son from us romans 8 32 he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how will he not also freely give us all things if he wouldn't withhold his son how will he not give us the lesser things he didn't withhold his son we have a picture of what god would do for us through the testing of Abraham. Now at this point, as we come to a close, we need to be encouraged of the results. Middle of verse 12, for now I know you fear God. You see, what God does in his testing is he assures us that we have a true relationship with him. He assures us. But part of that uh, part of that testing is certainly, uh, obviously God is testing us to demonstrate genuine faith, but it's also revealed to us. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see in James chapter 2 that this testing proved that Abraham had genuine faith. The, the, uh, the, the argument in James chapter 2 is, James chapter 2, let's turn it for a second. James chapter 2. To help understand James 2, you clearly need to understand that this is talking about saving faith. It's talking about saving faith. James 2, and that's, verse 14 is really important in, in, in interpreting the rest of the chapter. James 2.14, What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? No, it can't, but it's talking about saving faith. Then you go to verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize this is verse 19? Foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see, faith that faith was working with his works. As a result of the works, faith was perfected or brought to completion, you see. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that man is justified by works, not by faith alone. Now, what he's saying, we know from Scripture we are justified by faith. But genuine saving faith will have demonstrated works. And so Abraham's actions demonstrated that when God said back earlier, he believed it was reckoned to him as righteous. That was true. He truly believed. And it was demonstrated through his works. So then God will do that to prove our, to prove to us where we are, to demonstrate it. 
Now let's get back to Genesis and let's finish up. Verse 13, then, and notice God brought provision instead. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it's said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And that points to what Jesus Christ did for us, by the way. See, God provided. He raised his eyes. The author wants us to see. Behold, there's a ram caught in a thicket. A ram is a male sheep, and it's caught in a thicket. And what does Abraham do? He takes it. He offers it up, the burnt offering, in the place of his son. Abraham didn't stop and say, phew, we're all done. He went and worshipped with his son. We'll go worship. Initially, he thought he would offer his son. Now, he knew the Lord provided, and the Lord did provide. And they put the ram up, and the Lord provided the ram. You see, the Lord provided his son in our place. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Isaiah 53. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, uh, you know sin, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Lord provided. This all foreshadows what God would do. And so Abraham named it here, this place, the Lord will provide. As it's said to this day, and the man will be provided. That's uh, Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Jireh. The Lord sees with an eye of provision. And so we've seen the foreshadowing of Christ's work on the cross throughout this passage. Verse 2, Isaac is spoken of the only begotten, parallel with Christ being the only begotten, one and only son. Verse 2, also the place where Isaac was sacrificed, most likely the same place Jesus died for our sins, Mount Moriah. Verse 4, we see it was the third day when they arrived at Mount Moriah. Verse 5, of the assurance of return after death prefigures, typifies Christ's resurrection. Verse 6, Isaac carries the wood he was offered on. Jesus carried his wooden cross to be sacrificed on. Verses 6 and 8, Abraham and Isaac walked together where the father walked with the son, the son entrusting himself to the father who judges righteously. We see that doing his will all the way to the cross, even death on a cross, obedience. Uh, verses 10 through 14, just as God provided a substitute sacrifice for Abraham, Jesus will be provided in our place for us. And then as we see in verses 15 through 18, blessing came from this prefiguring the blessing that would come through salvation in Jesus Christ. God loved Abraham deeply. His seemingly awful test turned out to be a demonstration of his love and desire to bless Abraham, a picture of his great provision in Jesus Christ. Notice he's blessed with this provision of a substitute, and he's also blessed with the Lord affirming his promises. Verse 15 then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. He said, By myself I sworn declares the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. He says here, Because you've done this, withheld your only son, we see that he is going to be blessed. He says here, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, the sand of sea, which is in the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. 
The Lord is personally aware of what he calls us to do, by the way. He says, because you've done that, you've obeyed my wish, you've done this thing, you've not withheld your son. He's personally aware. And notice the most important promise he acknowledges after reiterating the promises. And in your seat, all the nations, verse 18, where there shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Because Abraham proved genuinely by faith to be a true believer, his faith worked. God would bring forth through his seed Jesus Christ, in which all the nations will be blessed through salvation, blessing through him. When you obey, there's blessing. When you trust the Lord, you take him at his word. Don't resolve it in your head. Just do what he says. Worship the Lord. There's blessing. There's blessing. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it, the Lord Jesus would say in Luke 11. So then, as we finish up, look at verse 19. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. And you can read the the last portion of this chapter, but it ultimately shows that God would be faithful and bring a wife, Rebecca, for Isaac. God's faithful. So how should we respond when our faith is tested? Today we've seen Abraham go through the ultimate test. Now, if you're not a believer, if you're tested, your faith may be proven to not be there. You see, Abraham was a believer. He believed what God said, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You see, every single one of us needs to believe that we are sinners. Needs to believe what God says about us. Needs to believe that we are going to be judged, that his wrath is upon us. But we need to also believe that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins and that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. And if you call upon him in faith, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And then the Lord will test us and prove and demonstrate the truth of our relationship with him, which will bless us and build us up. How about you? Having problems with work? Obey, obey the word of God. Having problems with family? Obey the word of God. Teach your children. Need wisdom? Ask for wisdom. Obey the word of God. Struggling with worry? Pray, focus on Christ. Struggling with physical provision? Seek first his kingdom. Obey the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage, Lord, and I thank you that your testing is for good, that blessed are those who persevere in trials because the proof of this genuine faith is more precious than gold or silver, which is perishable. Lord, thank you that you use trials to demonstrate our genuine faith in your son Jesus and you use it to bless us. Father, may we see things rightly. May we be prepared for when the next trial comes, that we would believe what you say, that we would trust you, that we would let you have your way in our lives, that we would just trust and obey. Father, I pray for that. I thank you again for this example, which points ultimately to your provision of your son Jesus for our salvation, for our sins, that you did provide. You provided through your son, Jesus, and we thank you and praise you for him.
in his precious name. Amen.